Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. This morning, we're going to be looking at the gospel. And over the next couple of weeks, we're just going to be looking at the gospel as we continue to endeavor toward being a biblically thriving church. One of the aspects of of a healthy, vibrant church is its grasp on the gospel and really God's grasp through the gospel on the church and then their desire to make that gospel known. And so I probably don't have to take a lot of time to convince you that things are not right. And the way that the word that I use for that is brokenness. Um, We look around in the world today and what we see is is brokenness. It's all around us. We look on the news and we see brokenness. And and just like if you had an appliance and it's not working the way that it's supposed to, you'd say, well, it's broken. The world is broken. And we look around and we see all the evidence of brokenness. We see the rioting. We see racism. We see poverty. We see disease. We see um, unfaithfulness in relationships. We see all of these things, theft, murder, um, all of these violent crimes. I mean, like all of these things. And we say, man, the world is not right. And so I, I don't think I'd have to take a lot of time to convince you of that. But, but the reality that Jesus made so clear is that all of this brokenness that we see around us is because there is a brokenness right here within us. And he makes that so clear in Mark chapter 7. I want to invite you to turn there this morning to Mark chapter 7. But, but I want to also make clear that that wasn't God's design. You see, when God created the world, including people, and their relationship with one another, their relationship with him, he looked at it and he said, this is very good. So how did we get from God's very good design to this broken world with all the evidence of brokenness filled with broken people? Well, the Bible answers that question in Genesis chapter 3. It says that sin entered into the world. And sin, just kind of a basic working definition is, you know, me doing what I want rather than what God says. God says, go this way. And I say, I'll go this way. And we do it again and again and again. And sin entered into the very first two people. And it has been part of the human condition ever since. And that's what results in the brokenness that we experience in our lives and in this world. And as much as we try on our own to get back to God's design, we can't. We kick some bad habits. We pick up some good ones along the way. But we can't get back to God's design on our own. And that should leave us in this helpless state of saying, God, then how? How can man be saved? And to that, God says, through my son, Jesus. You see, that is how God has ordained that all men would be saved is through his son, Jesus. And the Bible teaches that that Jesus was sent. God sent his one and only son into our broken world. And unlike us, he was not broken. He he didn't have sin. He He wasn't broken like we are. His relationship with God was exactly the way that God intended a relationship between man and God. And his relationship with others was exactly the way that God intended a relationship with others. But at the end of that perfect, sinless life, he did something for us because the Bible teaches that the consequence of sin is death. And so Jesus died on a cross for you and me, paying the price for our sin. He was then buried in a tomb, was there for three days, but on the third day, God did something to demonstrate that his son was victorious over sin and death, and that is he raised him from the grave. He was seen by many witnesses. He then ascended into the, he- into the heavens with the promise that one day he would return. And the Bible teaches that if we will be honest with God about our brokenness and our sinfulness 
and ask for his forgiveness, turning from our brokenness and trusting and following Jesus, believing that what he did is all that is needed for us to be saved, that we become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and only then can we begin to grow into God's design for us. And so the question meets each one of us, are you near God's design growing in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ because you have turned and from your brokenness and followed Jesus? Or are you still in your brokenness? And it's to brokenness that we look this morning and we give focus to understand. Because you won't turn from something if you see no problem with it. And you won't Look to God if you're convinced that what you ultimately need to look to is to man or maybe even to yourself. And so to Mark chapter 7, we turn because it's here. In addition to many other passages, but especially here where a prominent lie is on display and a needed truth is on display. And so I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word from Mark chapter 7. And I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read down through verse 23. You follow as we stand in honor of hearing from God speak to us today from His Word. The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Him, that is Jesus. They observed that some of His disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is unwashed, hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they have given their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed. And there are many other customs that they have received and keep, like the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles and dining couches. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Instead of eating bread with ceremonially unclean hands. He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. He also said to them, you have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corban, that is an offering devoted to God. You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and you do many other similar things. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand, nothing that goes into a person can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Are you also lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared, all food's clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, 
come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile a person. Will you pray with me? Lord, I, I pray this morning that you would speak to us by your word. Lord, that all of me would be removed and you would fill me with your spirit, God, to proclaim the truth of your word and that it would sink down deep into every one of our hearts. So God, open our hearts, our hearts that can at times be so hard and dull to hear and to receive your word today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. This morning in God's word, what we are going to walk through is this passage seeing something unfold about the nature of our brokenness. When we turn back to verse 1 and we kind of get the context of what's happening on, you've got the Pharisees. Now, I know today, 2,000 years later, when we quickly speak about the Pharisees, that they're the, the bad rap group. Like They're the, the ones that's like, oh, the Pharisees, you don't want to be a Pharisee. And every kid in a, in a Sunday school class or in youth group or whatever, they know the Pharisees are kind of the bad guys in the stories. Like They're the ones that didn't do the right things and all that kind of stuff. But you have to step back a little bit and to realize that in their day, they were the good guys. In other words, they were the ones that when people wanted to see kind of the manifestation of what God's word looked like, lived out, you look to the Pharisees. This was this, this group. And, and so the things that they were doing and the things that they had kind of added into doing in order to protect the main things were, were kind of the, 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 the kosher thing of the day. Uh, it was etiquette, including this ceremonial washing. And so what's unfolding in this passage is there's these rules about things not to eat, unclean foods. And so, for example, they wouldn't have had, you know, a, a bacon, lettuce, and t tomato sandwich um, at this meal. But, but even more than avoiding the wrong foods, there was this working notion that, that not only was it the food that could defile, it was also maybe the plate, maybe the cup. Maybe the seat that you sat on. You don't know who sat there last time. We kind of get this right now. We've been very conscious during these days of COVID about things that have been touched, places that have been sat, things being sanitized, you know, in between things and all that kind of stuff. And so imagine that sort of like a hypersensitivity that we've been living in for the last year to, to the presence of things being touched, being how they lived on a daily basis, minus the mask. And so you have this, this sensitivity to what's going on, and then they look at Jesus' disciples, and they say, ah, they don't follow the etiquette of the day. These guys are rookies. These guys are untrained. These guys don't get it. They, they, don't, they don't understand our sensibilities and our ways, or as it said here, the, the tradition of our elders. And so they, they question Jesus on this, of why are your guys defiling themselves? Why, why are they eating with unwashed hands? Why are they doing the things that they ought not to be doing? It's resulting in them being defiled. It's resulting in them being unclean. 
you might even say the language we're using today, it's resulting in them being kind of broken. It's an evidence of, of brokenness. And what's important to see in the question that they're asking is this. It's starting from a place of understanding about humanity as being a clean vessel. In other words, I'm clean in the way that I become unclean or dirty or defiled or broken is by things coming into me. That was part of their working understanding. So it's important for us to see really quickly is that they're starting with this idea that we're clean unless something enters us that's unclean and then we become unclean. And so the idea, the, the lie that they were kind of grabbing onto was this, that man is good. Man is good. You ever ask somebody, you know, like, is everything okay? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And what do we mean by that? If I, if I say, you know, is everything okay? And you say, I'm good. You're saying, I, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. There's levels to this word good. There's also moral. I, I do good things. I help people. I'm thoughtful. I'm not selfish. You know, these kind of things. And, and it's this basic understanding of my state as being I'm good. I'm good. And there are millions and millions and millions of people in history and today that live this way. I'm good. I'm good. And the Pharisees were operating under this kind of understanding of mankind that man is good. Unless something comes into them that defiles them. Unless they, they touch something they shouldn't have touched. Unless they, they go somewhere, they shouldn't have gone. Unless they do these things that then defile them, that man's good. We're good. But notice what Jesus does with this. He, he sees straight, straight to the point, to this group that says, basically, the Pharisees, we're good. Your disciples, however, not so good. They're holding up the hand saying, good, we're good. And he says, really if, if you're good, then why is it that Isaiah prophesied, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me? And notice that heart there is singular. It's speaking about kind of this corporate, we're good, that was going up from this group of people. We're good. And what happens when Jesus does this is it catches their attention. They're now on high alert. Jesus is now speaking from the prophet Isaiah. And, he, and they know like he's, he's probably saying something about us. But they're missing it because their heart is far from the Lord. They worship me in vain, teaching his doctrines, human commands. And what's important for us to see in that second indictment they worship me in vain, teaching his doctrines, human commands. It's the essence of idolatry and what it is that we do in our brokenness to try to get back to God. You see, when we have a problem and we can sense that there's a distance between me and God, between me and what is right, what we begin to do is operate from this idea that man is good and we figure out, but something's not right, something's broken, and so how can I get back? And so even though these Pharisees, their diet was probably impeccable. 
If you were to turn back to Leviticus and see the dietary restrictions that were placed, I can almost guarantee that you would not have found anything crossing their lips that was not supposed to. They They were honoring it perfectly, but yet there was still something. There was still a problem. There was still this impurity, this uncleanliness, and they knew it. And so then that's where you start adding these additional layers of things that I ought to do to try to fix it, which are man-made, as he said right here, human doctrines, human commands. And so they're like, well, maybe it's the plate. Maybe it's the plate that's dirtying the meal that's getting into us and causing the impurity. So we'll add that to it. And anytime man is coming up with solutions to problems, they almost always become idols. They become these these new things that then we bow down to and we look to for salvation. And so they were looking for cleanliness, to be made right, to be made whole by washing the dishes, by doing these ceremonial washings. The idea there is it's very public. They wanted everyone to see how they were washing off the filth, the, 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 the impurity, and then they could eat the, the holy foods that they were allowed to eat to according to Levitical standards. And they were doing all of these things and basically bowing down to these human traditions. They were worshiping these human traditions. And that's why God says they worship me in vain. They're doing all these things in the name of the Lord But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching his doctrines, human commands. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. But then this is where he cuts right to the chase with these guys. Because see, these are guys that would have said, we're good. We're good. We obey the commands of God. We obey the Ten Commandments. We honor the Levitical restrictions. We're good. But then Jesus says, really, you're so good that 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 command that's right in the middle of the Ten Commandments, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Let's do a quick test on that one. You say, honor your father and mother. And and God's word says, whoever speaks evil of father and mother must be put to death. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corbin. That is an offering devoted to God. You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. There was this idea that it might be a little kickback. That that Corbin gift was going to benefit the Pharisees. That rather than being spent on taking care of mom and dad, it could be kind of withheld by the, the person who would be offering it, but then also maybe, you know, given a little bit more to the Pharisees and support them. But they were okay with that. They were okay with nullifying the word of God in order to allow this this, uh, loophole to perpetuate and to go on. And they, they held this up. And then Jesus says, you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many other similar things. You see, this is a group that reminds me of an experience that I had as a high school student. I remember being in church one Sunday like this, and I remember the pastor getting up in the pulpit and was talking about the holiness of God and and about right living and all of these sorts of things. And then he he turned the corner and he said, "And, and let's talk about what we watch for entertainment. 
He said, if any of you are watching rated R movies, you're, you're in sin. There, there's no room for Christians to be watching rated R movies. And I mean, he just laid it down, this blanket statement of, if you're watching rated R movies, then you're sinning. No qualification to that. It's just sheer sin. And so he established a standard. Rated R movies are sin. What we didn't know as a congregation in that moment, and it wouldn't come to the surface for a couple more years, was that our pastor at that time was engaged in rated R activities with another staff member, a female staff member, and was having affairs for years while standing up in the pulpit, laying down this man-made rule. Rated R movies are, are sinful at all times. Anybody that watched a rated R movie, you are sinning while himself engaging in rated R activities. You see, that's a, a demonstration of what happens and how it was that just like the Pharisees, a person can stand up and establish a new rule because he had decided, I mean, his standard was I'm just not going to watch rated R movies. And so then that became a standard that he could easily impose on everyone else to be a metric by which he measured their holiness. If you're doing it, then you're wrong. And if you're doing it, then I'm better than you. All the while, all the while behind the scenes, doing something that is clearly forbidden in the word of God. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in this passage. He's saying the word of God is clear. The word of God has provided the perfect standard. And what man is tempted again and again and again to do is to say, well, I know what God's word says, but I'm going to go in one. I'm going to just take it up just a little bit more. And a lot of times what we call that is, you know, I'm going to be above reproach. God's word is not reproach. So to go above reproach is not to go above God's word. This, this is the standard. This, this is the bar. There can be nothing higher than the standard that God has established. But what Jesus is revealing to this group of men who more than anybody else would have said, they're good. No, they're, they're, they're really good. They're moral. They're obeying the word of God. They're the only ones really that when saying, I'm good, actually mean it. And he indicts them in front of everyone and says, not even you are good. Not even you are good. You see, in our broken state, many of us, even in this room today, are operating from an understanding of humanity that we're basically good. And what causes us to do bad things is environmental conditioning. It's the, it's the content that we're taking, the things we're listening to. And there's so much to be said here about those influences and the significance that they play. That if I grow up in a home that has a certain set of conditions, I'm very likely to go down that path. I've been conditioned in that direction. There's so much evidence to show that if I'm watching things, if I'm listening to things, if I'm you know, conditioning myself to take this in, it's going to influence me toward a specific direction. But it's the starting point. It's the starting point of I'm good until I'm influenced negatively that needs to be dealt with today from God's word. 
Because that's what the Pharisees believed, is that we're good unless we're negatively influenced by something that comes into us. But what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say to, to we who maybe today in this room have this mindset that man, man's good unless there's a negative influence, maybe a lack of education, maybe a, a lack of, of adequate food, maybe, maybe a lack of, of job opportunity, may, maybe a, a lack of transportation. You know, like, I mean, all of these things that we'll say, you know, a lack of a, of a specific parental role, a mother or a father figure in their life or something like that, that, that man's good until he's not. Jesus says, Summoning the crowd, listen to me, all of you understand. Nothing that goes in to a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And then he goes into the house away from the crowd and the disciples come and ask him about the parable. And he says to them, are you still lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into the person can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated and is eliminated. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, out of people's hearts. And so there's one truth that we need to walk away with today. And it's this, our hearts are broken. Our hearts are not the way they should be. Our hearts are sinful. Our hearts are prone to go away from God rather than to him. Our hearts are broken. And it's not just like that really bad person. It's every human heart. Remember, who's on display here? These are the greatest men that were known to walk the earth at this time. The, the holiest men of all. Jesus says to them, your hearts are broken. And he speaks to his disciples, your hearts are broken. And it is out of that broken heart that come all of these actions that we look around and say, man, evidence of a broken world. I mean, look at it. Come evil thoughts. This is an important sequence because he says, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts. Sexual immoralities, thefts. Murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. I don't know anybody when talking about what's wrong with the world has a list that varies from this one. When we talk about it, it comes back to this. So we're looking around at this broken world and everybody right now is more keenly aware that the world is not as it should be. Every day something new happens that demonstrates the world is not as it should be. That we live in a broken world, but Jesus is making so clear the reason that there is all of this brokenness around us is because there is a brokenness within us. That is the human condition of every single person. And until we realize that, we will not trust Jesus. Instead, if we say, well, I'm basically good, there must have been a bad influence. There must have been a lack of something. There's some, some wrong thinking in my life. We're going to constantly chase all of these human, man-made solutions. And many of them are as silly as, watching, as washing plates and pitchers and forks and spoons in order to keep sin from coming into you. 
You see, we can look back and so easily indict the Pharisees and say, man, like these guys, you know, like, I mean, like, really? They thought that, you know, by using cascade, it was going to like cascade the sin out of their life. I mean, come on. And yet we do the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, the the self-help industry is huge. People are searching keywords on Google like never before. Words like happiness was searched more in 2020 than ever before. People are wanting to know, how do do I get back to God's design? I, I want happiness. Although they wouldn't say it that way, that's what they're wanting. They're wanting a true life. But it's not until an alcoholic, for example, admits that they are powerless over their addiction. Anybody that's ever gone through a 12-step program, they'll tell you this in a heartbeat. It is not until you finally come to that place of recognition that I am powerless. It's not until a person comes to that place in their life where they say, I am powerless over this broken heart. This broken heart is producing in my life evil thoughts. That those inappropriate thoughts, they come from this evil heart. That desire to to steal or maybe to to take something that doesn't belong to me, that's coming from an evil heart. Jesus said if if you're angry with your brother and and kind of, you know, like super anger, then you're guilty of murder. Adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. He says all of these things come from within, from our heart. So the real question is, do we believe that? Do we actually believe that what is at the root issue with all of the brokenness that we see all around us is a brokenness within us? Do we actually believe that? When you look at somebody on Facebook, here's the test. When you look at somebody on Facebook who posted something that you absolutely disagree with, 100%. They're on the opposite end of the spectrum from where you are on a specific issue, something that's going on. Do you look at that person with a compassion, perhaps, if it's not an issue of just like opinion, but seeing a person embracing a lifestyle that leads to or is just embracing sexual immorality? Do you look at them in in compassion and say, they have a broken heart like I do? And what they need more than anything in this world is Jesus. Or do you look at them with anger? Do you look at them with hate? Do you look at them with slander? You see, we're constantly right now being confronted with people who have a different worldview than we do. But it's not until we get clear on our own that we'll be able to really interact with people in a meaningful, compassionate but also truth-filled way to help lead them to the truth. And I want you to know these two truths, that man is basically good, that lie, and then this one truth, that our hearts are broken, is a foundational piece to our worldview, to understanding what the problem is, and therefore what the solution might be. You see, That's exactly what God said he would do. 
in the Old Testament when he promised a new covenant. You see, God promised that one day he would come and take a heart of stone out of us and put within us a heart of flesh. But something that's become so real to me because of my own experience with transplants is this. That for a person to receive the organ from another person, most of the time, especially as it relates to a heart, there has to be a deceased donor. I can't donate my heart to any one of you and still live. And in the same way, Jesus Christ died that we might receive his heart and live. That 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 operation that only God has access to do, to take a heart of stone and remove it and then give us the heart of Jesus. And you say, but there was only, only one heart. His was different. His was able to be transplanted into every person who would believe. That is the good news of the gospel. Is that God in his love did this for us in our brokenness. And what's important for us to see is that when we go out into the world today and we meet objections to the gospel, and we meet objections to what's really the problem, Jesus has made so crystal clear in his word where the problem really lies. But let me offer us a word of caution today. When someone brings up issues of of racism, it may not be wise or prudent for you to just say, well, that's just a matter of the heart and just kind of blow it off. Rather than if you're speaking to someone, especially to someone who's an African-American who's sharing their experience of maybe something that they've gone through or their perspective, rather than listening with a desire to understand and to learn, to just say, my pastor said it's a heart issue, so I, I really don't want to talk about this anymore. That suggests a hard heart, to be honest with you a heart that's not full of compassion, a heart that doesn't care. And so while armed with a strong biblical worldview for what the problem really is, we ought not to make trite that statement, that simplicity of understanding that it's from the heart that come all of these problems when then we are confronted with evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. We will do well to be armed with the truth of Scripture as we sit down and weep with those who weep. As we join in rejoicing with those who rejoice. When we love one another deeply, as God's word calls us to do in 1 Peter. So let us not treat this significant biblical truth tritely, but use it to, to lead us into a place of truly ministering to people where they are. But this talk about brokenness, it points back, doesn't it, to something that we're going to consider in full detail next week. But it's a truth that maybe you're here today and for the first time in your life, you have been confronted with the truth from Jesus that the real problem in your life, the real problem is a broken condition. I remind you, that was not God's design. 
God did not create us to be broken people living in brokenness on this earth in rebellion to God, hating and hurting one another. That was not his design. Instead, his design was very good. His design was unhindered. His design was a perfect relationship with him. But that was lost because of sin. And the only way that that can be restored in your life is through faith in Jesus The only way that you can have a restored relationship with Jesus Christ is to have that heart transplant that I just spoke of a moment ago. And so I ask you today, is this the first time that you've realized that I'm not good? That I can't hold up my hand, I'm good. But of being able to be honest to say, I'm not good. And what does it work within me it plagues me. It, 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 there are such evil thoughts at times and evil desires within me. I'm not good. I'm not good. But I invite you to look and lift your eyes to one who is. One who is good. One who is perfectly good. One who is so good that he did for you what you could not do for yourself one who gave his life on the cross for you. And I invite you to trust him, to come to the good one who alone is Jesus and to follow him. Give your life to him. Come to him asking for his heart to be given to you, to be placed within you, to take away this heart of stone, this this real root issue, to remove it and to give you new life. And God's word says that when we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us. He delights to save. And if you're here today, maybe you're a student, maybe you're a child, maybe you're an adult, or maybe you're watching from home today, and this is the first time that you've realized, I'm not good. I'm not okay. That I've been losing my mind thinking that, that I was the pro, like that it was all this because I just wasn't figuring it out. I hadn't read the right book. I hadn't gone to the right seminar. I, I, I was losing my mind because I thought I'm good, but I keep messing it up. But I'm not good. I'm not good. And that the real problem is my heart. If you're at home and you're sitting there and you're watching, this is the first time that God has awakened you to this reality, then I urge you, to give your life to Jesus, to come to him and to him alone who is able to save you and to take away your sin. And so the question meets us as it did at the beginning of this sermon, are we near God's design because we have turned from our sin and trusted and followed Jesus or are we far from God still in our brokenness and sin? You see, the This sermon doesn't have a lot of intricacy because the gospel is plain, it's clear. There's not a lot of nuance to it. There's not a lot of Bible study that you have to do this additional depth of study to really grasp this. It's clear. And in the word, it's so clear that we are not good. Even the the most holy and seemingly clean among us, not good. And that the real problem is we have a broken heart. And so if you're here today and you are realizing that's your condition, that today is the day for a heart transplant. God, I pray that in this moment, 
if there be anyone within the sound of my voice, either at home or in this room, that the simplicity, the clarity of the gospel and how Jesus made so clear that not even the most holy, devoted person known in the world at his time was good. That we would allow that truth to sink into our hearts today and to realize that your grace is so much more incredible because you have come not to good people, but you have come to sinners like us to save us and to bring us home. So Lord, in this moment, I pray for the person that for the very first time, their eyes are being opened to this reality that they would give their life to Jesus today. That they would pray a prayer like I did when I was 16 years old, just being honest and saying, Jesus, I know that you died on the cross for my sins. And I need your forgiveness. And so I'm asking you to take away my sin and to give me life. I give my life to you. I want you to be the king of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And in that moment, it wasn't as if the trees began to blow over or the wind picked up, but there was new life inside of me. And if that's you today, I encourage you to pray a simple prayer like that to Jesus right where you're sitting. You don't have to walk down front, just right where you are, deal with God. Let's all stand and respond to this message. If you need prayer, I invite you to come. If you prayed to receive Christ this morning and just want someone to pray for you, come. Whatever it is that you need to do in this moment of response, you do. See you later.